five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Bronze uh, Compass Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'll be your host. This is going to be a new podcast. I've changed it up just a little bit. We're going to do some things here in the future, learning the whole process. It's a it's a work in progress. But today, what we're going to looking at, we're going to be looking at creation. And why are we going to be looking at creation? Well, in the humanities. The study of the humanities is the study of the human experience. And the human experiences ranges all the way from now all the way until creation. And creation is a hot topic amongst people, right? You have the scientists slash atheists that say that life or creation began with the Big Bang. The Big Bang being a small dot the size of a pixel or such. Uh, in the middle of nowhere, spins, explodes, and all matter, energy, etc. are created from that one explosion. And they're the process of anywhere between 12 to 15 billion years, depending upon the source that you look at. All of everything that we see now exists. Or there's God. No matter how you view it, it's something supernatural, whether it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of just Abraham and Muhammad, um, you know, Buddha, Hindu, or, or uh, Vishnu, um, Zeus, Jupiter, etc. It doesn't matter what you have as a supernatural entity creating or heaven and earth. Either way you look at it, Humans started somewhere. Now, in my opinion, humans all started with Adam and Eve. Now, why do I say this? What we're going to be looking at today is why I say this. We're looking at a shared identity. Now, what is a shared identity? You have to look back in time and look at the things in civilizations that are ancient that tell us, one, they are a civilization, two, we recognize what the civilization is by certain markers. Those markers in civilization that you're looking at is you're looking at language that is written. If you don't have a written language and you don't pass a written language down, you cannot, number one, pass on knowledge to future generations without a specific tutor telling that future generation either what happened or what to do, or you cannot give orders or um, instructions to anybody that is not within earshot. This makes it so that a civilization is bigger than a family unit or a small tribe or company of people. Anything bigger than 20, 50 maybe a hundred people, and you now have to start writing down decrees, laws, orders, um, uh, policies, etc. So what we're looking at when it comes to shared culture or shared experience is what are the things that are similar or the same amongst all cultures? Because the idea of evolution is that we all came from Africa. Now, if we all came from Africa, then we should all have an African origin story, meaning everybody who started in this valley and moved on. Now, that's if they were conscious. 
if they weren't conscious, meaning writing down, telling stories, giving their history either orally or in written form, then you would not be able to consider them, in my opinion, human. That is a huge part of what being human is. Then, in the creation of life with God, what you would have is origin stories of one specific place. If we take the Christian God, for example, where you have Adam and Eve, they have children, children are wicked, uh, God tells Noah he's going to destroy everything on the planet, get in a boat, take the animals with you, he destroys it, they all start out. After all starting out, um, surviving the flood, they come off, Tower of Babel is created, and everybody splits from there. So those things right there, that history, we're going to call it history, that history from the Tower of Babel to Adam would now be a shared consciousness of the human species. That shared consciousness is what we're going to try to look for today. And where we're going to start, we're going to look at either a Tower of Babel, theology or not theology but mythology or a um flood myth flood mythology why because at those two points that right there is the hinge to the door of humanity where every single person at one point was congregated at one point and then expanded from there. So the question is, so first let's look at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is the explanation in the human consciousness of the many different languages on the earth right now. Now, maybe not right now as in right this very second, but throughout history and time, etc. Are there cultures that have a Babel or Babel type myth. Now what we're looking at is we're looking at, for the Tower of Babel, we're looking at all humans um, combined into one body, all building a building that is going to be substantially tall with the intent of trying to get to heaven, either to do battle or take over or whatever against heaven or God, right? That is the Babel myth. We break it down to its different elements. Everybody's combined at one. They're building a building, trying to get to heaven, and either having a war with God, take over heaven, or get to heaven. Right? And eventually, because of doing that, all people are going to be scattered, and, and the scattering is going to come from, specifically, everybody's language is going to be changed. Do we see that? The answer is yes. We have Sumerian and Syrian parallels where you know, people were building either a big ziggurat or something of that nature, a ziggurat being a, a um, pyramid with a massive base with steps going up it, like stairs, and then it has a middle base and then an upper base, and I'm going to call them bases because they're levels, but it looks like a big chunk of uh, building, and the steps take you all the way up to the top. We then also have 
a Greek and Roman parallel or, or similar thing where the giants were fighting against the Olympian gods. And the way they were fighting is they were stacking mountains on top of each other, trying to get to heaven and, and have a war with heaven. Then we look at other places like um, the American Indians. And with the American Indians, what you have is um, somebody escaped a flood. And in escaping the great flood, they decided to build a great building. So if the flood ever came again, that they would climb the great building all the way up into heaven instead of staying on the earth. Um, Africa, Africa has a very similar story um, where they decided that they were going to build a building, but the building itself wasn't destroyed. The scaffolding was, and there's two stories that come with the scaffolding. The scaffolding injures the people in the fall, cracking their heads and making them forget, as well as spreads the technology of iron. And many, well, not, not many, but a few um, historians have gone over or through Africa finding the story and even have found from the story the different tribes of Africa that have had iron technology before Europeans or Asians gave them the technology. Moving on, what we're now looking at is that you have several different peoples, Europeans with the Romans and Greeks, Middle Easterners with the Assyrians, um, Africans, um, tribes that have the Babel story, and American Indians that have the story. We also find the story in Mexico. So it's not only North Americans, but Central Americans that have the story of some kind of tower was created to reach heaven for some purpose. And from creating that tower, there was a spread, and that is where languages were created or people were divided um, or God was angry with them and cast them down. If we then back up a little bit in history, now we've only talked about five. There's really only five to ten stories like that when you go out and you start searching the Internet for a Tower of Babel, quote-unquote, type of story. But when you back up in history in the Christian timeline um, or the Judeo-Christian timeline or even the, I will say the monotheistic timeline, you're looking at a flood. Now, the flood of Noah was the flood that wiped out all of everything and left us with whatever Noah took on the ark and Noah and three sons and three da uh, daughter-in-laws. From that point, that is where all civilization come from. Now, how many civilizations have a flood story? Over 300 throughout the world. I'm talking tribes, I'm talking civilizations, I'm talking north, south, east, west, every corner of the planet has a flood story of some kind where God was angry, decided to curse the earth, somebody escaped with animals. That's it. Sometimes it's rains came and somebody created a canal that shifted the floods 
and save them. Sometimes it's everybody got onto a ship. It didn't matter what the ship looked like. It was some kind of ship, whether it was a raft or a box or a house with with pontoons or whatever on the side of the house to float it, uh, a big ship like the Ark. Somebody was saved from the flood with some knowledge, and they took animals with them. That is 300 civilizations. So the first example with Babel, you have 10 stories throughout the world, and there's probably more that I'm missing when I'm doing my research, and, and I'm not perfect. But 300, you see a shared history. Now, what else can we look at that would be a shared history? Is there a creation story? Well, almost every single people have a creation story, too. An Adam and Eve type of the beginning. Every single one. So, from every single one to about 300 civilizations to about 10, we now see a progression of a shared consciousness. A shared understanding of how the world started. Right? Starting from, you know, two people or more to there's a flood, to there's a tower. So now what do we see in between? Do we know what's in between? Well, there aren't big enough events in between to be able to say, yes, this happened. There isn't anything that we're looking at like a flood, like that. So what we have to now do is we have to look at culture. And what do I mean by culture? I'm talking song, dance, art, music, tradition, right? So, Certain traditions are rather interesting when you back up and you look at them. Some traditions, which seem to go over everybody, such as sacrifice. Now, in the creation of the world under evolution, sacrifice should not make sense at all. Because what you have is you have Animals going from non-consciousness, just trying to survive, to a consciousness that there is some kind of higher power. And the way to appease that higher power is to give up something in your tribe or something that you have. Right? You're going to sacrifice the goat, the sheep, the squirrel, the monkey, the, the time, the effort, the energy, the person even. It makes no sense. From a tribalistic point of view, you're going to go from monkey, ape in the forest, in the jungle, in whatever geographic or topographic feature that you're living on, to thinking that the lightning god in the sky needs to be appeased and you're going to give them this person or you're going to give them this animal that you've worked hard to get. And anybody who is anybody who has tried to predict anything, just ask the weathermen, aren't going to be able to do it and they aren't going to be around long. There is no direct cause and effect. There is nothing to observe in a sacrifice to appease a god, which is what all sacrifices do in order to get blessings of the god, whether it's abundant rain good crops, healthy life, peace, so you don't have to go to war. There is not a direct correlation. 
There isn't a cosmos where if you sacrifice that goat, you sacrifice that baboon, you sacrifice that gorilla or that crocodile or that whatever, that somehow, someway, somewhere, there's a natural law somewhere that says you sacrifice something, therefore you get something out of it. So as a natural process of learning, don't eat the red mushrooms, they poison you and kill you, to sacrifice that thing on something, you know, sacrifice that animal on some kind of altar or table or something, you're going to come out for the plus. Makes zero sense. Zero sense. Even as a way of trying to control a tribe, if you were like, okay, yeah, here I am. I am a king. I am a witch doctor. I am a voodoo doctor. I am whatever you want me to be. I am the priest. I am telling you that in order for God above, below, to the side, is going to bless us and make it better so that we can have better crops, better hunting, better anything, you need to burn that kill, that animal, that food on a table. You're telling me that that went on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? from 100 to 200 to 300,000 years ago up until about 2,000 years ago that people saw a correlation of giving something up and getting blessings? No. Didn't happen. Makes no sense. Sure, maybe in a tribe and maybe for that one little generation or that one little five-year span where Mr. Witch Doctor was a farmer and he understood seasons, times, and cycles and was able to manipulate the people? Sure. Was he able to pass that information on to his sons, daughters, whatever? Sure, maybe. Could they keep the conspiracy up to be able to make that happen and pass it all through several thousand cultures? No. No. What that means is, is that there is a collective consciousness on sacrifice. There is a collective religion somewhere in the past that everybody shared at one time that said that when you sacrifice, you will get blessings of some kind. In the Christian sense, it is you get forgiveness of your sins, a recognition of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, and a way to get to heaven. All things you cannot see. You cannot not sacrifice, die, and then see it, and then come back and say, wait a second, I didn't sacrifice. Everybody, sacrifice. That way your sins are forgiven you. That way you go through the process. That way Almighty God can let you into heaven. It doesn't exist. It didn't happen. There is a tradition there that is shared amongst all cultures. So we see now Four things. A creation story where there is a beginning with somebody, man and a woman. There is a flood story. There is a Babel story. And there is a law of sacrifice amongst everybody. What more do we want? Now, what about negative evidence? Now, what do I mean by negative evidence? I mean decay. For example, human language is getting worse. Worse, not better. We aren't, even though we're creating new languages or new, not new languages, 
well, almost, yes, but uh, new words in our language, you know, I don't, I've never seen anything in Roman or Greek about electromagnets, right? Or nuclear fusion. Sure, we're coming up with new uh, phrases and sayings and such, but the actual language of the people is getting worse. It's degrading. You look at any language out there in the world and you study its history and you look at the etymology and you look at the process and the evolution of those words, you will see and find that we are simplifying each word and each phrase by the generation where you would say one word and that one word would have a long meaning that you could probably say in 10, five, 10 words. And we no longer use that word. We use the five or 10 words or we use some kind of synonym that's close to it or close enough for what we're saying. And if you look at that, I mean, take, take Shakespeare. Shakespeare had somewhere between a 50 to 60,000 word vocabulary. And how do you know that? By his writings, which means if you read Shakespeare, you have 50 to 60,000 word vocabulary if you know exactly every word and how it's being used. Congratulations. It's the same thing with the Bible. With the King James Version of the Bible, you have around 54 to 58,000 words that are unique in phrase and meaning. So if you read the Bible, King James Version, then you know what's going on, you see what's going on, and you have that vocabulary. The average American vocabulary nowadays is somewhere between three to 6,000 words. Why? Have people turned extra special stupid? No. What's happened is, is that everybody has simplified the language so much that um, you go back to Shakespeare and, and past that, you can't understand what's going on. But if you go back and you look at those, there are words and complications of those words that no longer are used today, not even in all of the things that we create. We do not have phrases and words that are as complicated as they were four and 500 years ago. We haven't created any. All the words that we have created are nouns, things that we now use, like, like electromagnet, computer, nuclear fission, right? Those are things or a process of things that are new, not processes of ideas in interrelationships with humans. It's decaying. So why does it decay? I would say that it's decaying because what you would have at the Tower of Babel is you have what is basically or near basically a pure language, a language that in near perfection, the Adamic language in near perfection is able to have a, com a complicated word that means something that is complicated, a complicated thought, idea, process, uh, viewpoint and is able to spell it out perfectly. Now let's transition. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some things and not as detailed as I have been. We're going to mention some things that are similar amongst many different peoples, right? We're looking at um, you know, just basic ideas, right? 
things like like we've been talking about Noah, the idea of Noah, Babel, the idea of Nabal, Babel, right? Things like like uh, the creation story. Adam came from clay. Well, if you look at it around the world, um, the Hindus have a mythology that man came from clay. Greeks and Romans have an idea that man came from earth. Chinese have an idea that it came from yellow earth and was molded with the ability to uh, have children. The mythology stories, and when you study the mythology stories, almost all of them have, you know, the mythologies that we know of, you know, usually, which usually is Chinese, Middle East, um, Hindu, and European, but usually uh, also some Aztec and uh, Incan mythologies. But what you're looking at is you're looking at, uh, let's, let's take a look, fire, how fire came to be. There's several different versions of it, both in Middle East, Mesopotamia, uh, which is Middle East, but uh, Mesoamerica, um, Europe. You're looking at some other things that you're looking at is giants. Almost every people on the planet have some form of giants in the traditions. Uh, dragons. Almost every people have some form of a dragon where they call them a dragon. European dragon is usually some kind of combination of big, winged, horned, four-legged, capable of breathing fire. If you look at the dragon, if you take those parts and you pull them apart, you can see that if somebody was trying to tell you a story about dinosaurs, that somebody could have taken all of those things and made it into one animal. You know, like there were dinosaurs that had wings and flew. There were big dinosaurs that had lots of horns or that had impenetrable skin. There were dinosaurs that walked around on four legs. There were dinosaurs capable of breathing fire and not fire in the sense of actual flame, but fire in the sense of, um, say, an acid or a uh, poison that they spit that would then feel like it's burning, therefore feeling like fire. Um, other cultures have it uh, wingless and like a serpent, like a giant snake. But if you look at the past and the uh, um, paleontology on that, there were, uh, we'll call it dinosaur snakes, large snakes that were just gigantic, 60, 70 feet long, that... I don't know what they could swallow, but dang, it's 60, 70 feet long with the heads, uh, heads the size of a desk. Anything is game, but that would be part of the lore, part of the mythology. Um, usually some kind of epic battle between gods. So what would that be in Christianity? What would we be looking at? What if it was the battle in heaven where, you know, Satan, being Lucifer, was cast down or cast out of heaven by God, an angel that becomes fallen, right? You're looking at, and another one that I think is really interesting is that when it comes to myths, when it comes to a lot of things, stories, and that would be where the myths come from, gods, 
where the gods dwell. Gods are almost always dwelling in heaven, but they're almost always a star or a planet. Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, right? The sun, the moon. Why are those things so big in the mythologies of every single people on the planet? And now I understand the sun. The sun comes out. It's now warm. It's now hot. It's now bright. You can now see the moon. The same thing. You can look at the moon. It changes shape. It changes position. It's a little brighter sometimes, and it's completely dark at other times. It makes sense. You see it. But have you ever gone out in the middle of nowhere and looked up into the sky and looked at the stars and tried to actually pinpoint a star? For the love, that is even harder than anything in the world. You are looking literally at needles in a needle stack trying to find out the best needle. So how is it that everybody had a experience, a philosophy, a something, where they looked up at the stars and they said, that is where we came from, or that is what we need to watch to be able to tell the future, or that is what we need to watch to be able to know what the signs are, to be able to know that, oh yeah, a visitor is now going to come and plague us all, or come and tell us everything. You know, you're going to have a good battle because this planet and that planet combine. What? This star and that star are going to get close to each other, and that means we're going to win the war. How does that make sense? It's just like sacrifice. Sacrificing something is stupid. Okay, looking at the stars and trying to determine what's going on with the stars is also stupid. It makes no sense unless there is something in the past that happened together, such as Noah, right? When Noah happened, Everything changed. It's entirely and completely possible that everything on the planet changed, not only on the earth below, but in heaven above. To where now, when you looked at the stars from that point on, everything moved. It's entirely possible that the flood began with that uh, a comet that supposedly wiped out the dinosaurs. It's entirely possible that a planet moved by us and started the flood. The gravitational pull of a planet would be able to do something to us. And now everybody, from that point on, Noah and his children are thinking, okay, look at the sky. Something's going to happen there. When that something happens there, we're not going to do it. Now, it's entirely possible because of this that everybody was already spread out and you had something big happen like a comet or like a planet or something like that, a rogue planet floating around or something of that nature that affected everybody. But usually in a situation like that, it affects just one people, i.e. you saw the comet flying by, you're in the Northern Hemisphere, that's why you saw it. The Southern Hemisphere didn't see it or vice versa, right? Uh, if a meteor hit, usually that is a one-off because unless you have some kind of technology to be able to see that meteor coming and then know where it hits, Right. You're just going to experience in a localized area a big bang of some kind that you now recognize. Oh, a star fell from heaven, hit the earth, bang, all of a sudden smoke, dust, fire and brimstone. 
and usually it's local. If it was that big that it affected the entire planet, you would have a massive star-like structure, a comet, that hit and everybody would have seen it, but it had to have been something that everybody saw coming. Anyway, the point is, we have enough in looking at the world, the structure, the culture, the people, the language, the deck, the decay of the language, the the ideas, all be of such similarness uh, that you can look at that and go, wait, those are similar. Those are together. At one point, everybody was together. At that point, you can then look at language and see that, oh, there were several families here because we have language to look back and see several families. The biggest family that is easiest from a Western perspective is the Indo-European family that goes from India all the way to Ireland. Now, there's some languages inside of that space, the geographic space, that are not similar. But what you're looking at is basically all of Europe has a language that's similar to each other. And you can see the similarities when you look at the individual things that are a collective idea, such as mother, brother, etc., so, with that out, you've heard my rant. I've ranted about this, and I've looked at this. I hope you guys have a great day. Sharing with everybody, family, friends, if you like it. If you don't, you can keep it to yourself. I'm Matthew. This is the Bronze Compass Podcast. In one, two, three, four, five. We're out.